morning, everyone. My name is Adrian, if you don't know who I am. Basically, what I want to do is continue in our series entitled Centered, where we do what I just showed on the screen there, where we're realizing that in the fullness of life, we need moments where we pause, where for those of us who've said that Jesus is at the center of our lives, that we remember that, and we center ourselves again on him, recognizing that our lives can be full of so many different things, and if we're not careful, we can end up becoming centered on things that are not him. And that in us pausing and centering again on him, we then continue on in our life. And if you've been with us over this series over the last couple of months, you'll know that we've been looking at kind of firstly what it looks like for us as individuals to be centered around God. Then we've started to look at what it means for us to be centered together around God. And we're going to continue that this morning, that whole theme that we've had through worship of that we're those, therefore, that have centered our lives on Jesus together. And we're built together, and that's really important. I, I don't know how you read the Bible. There are bits of the Bible jump out to me, and the bits that I really love are the bits where you find Jesus speaks. And they're kind of, in some versions of the Bible, you find them uh, as red-letter moments, depending on if you have a different version of the Bible. In some of them, they have these versions where they put all of the things that Jesus spoke in red in a way to kind of jump out on the page and say, this is something to note. This is something to take notice of. It's a, it's a red letter moment. These are words of Jesus speaking. There's this bit at the end of John where you get these amazing red letter moments of Jesus who is God, who lived, dies, and rose again. Just before he's about to die barbarically on a cross, prays. And he prays for his friends at that point, his followers, his disciples. But then he gets this point in John 17 where he prays for everyone who after his resurrection is going to put their trust and faith in him, are going to center their lives around him. And he prays for everyone. He prays for us. Phenomenal. That Jesus knew one day there'll be people like us. And he prays for us. And this is what he prays. This is what he asks the Father for us on our behalf. It says this in John 17, 21 to 22. He says, I pray, this is Jesus praying, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's his friends, his disciples' message. That all of them, all of us, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for us collectively. And praise this prayer of saying, actually, there's a way that we're to be together that's actually going to reveal something of who God is together. There's a way that we're to be one that is to reveal God who is one. That we're not just some old bunch of people that gather together and have a kind of fun morning together. And think, well, that was nice. Let's get on with our lives. Actually, there's a, a greater connection than that. We're not just a bunch of friends. There's something much better than that. We're not some sort of commune. We're rather an outpost of who God in his very being is. See, God is one. Father, Son, and Spirit aren't different beings. They're all one being. They are one. They are one in mutually loving one another. The Father loves the Spirit as the Spirit loves the Son, as the Son loves the Spirit, as the Spirit loves the Father, as the Son loves the Spirit, as the Son loves the Father. They are mutually loving. They are mutually knowing that they know one another fully. 
The Father knows the Son as the Son knows the Father, as the Father knows the Spirit, as the Spirit knows the Father, as the Son knows the Father, as the Son knows the Spirit, as the Spirit knows the Son, as the Son, Spirit knows the Father. It gets confusing. They are fully mutually knowing. That oneness is not only showing them mutually loving, mutually knowing, it's also showing them mutually serving. They serve one another for their good. So you find the Father serves the Son as the Father serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father as the Spirit serves the Son. It feels a bit of a rhyme coming on. The, the Son serves the Father as the Son serves the Spirit. They are one in the fullest way possible. One in mutual love for one another. One in mutual service of one another. One in mutual knowing of one another. And Jesus prays this prayer and says, if you've centered your life around me, you're part of this. You're not someone who kind of stands kind of on the edges and thinks, God, you're amazing. You're one. Father, Son, and Spirit, fully knowing, fully loving, fully serving. Jesus says, oh no, you don't hang on the edges. You come and be part of it. You're now part of the one. The one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. You're now part of this eternal all-knowing, all-loving, all-serving relationship. And if you've centered your life on Jesus as I have, we're part of that. We're a part of that now, fully. But Jesus prays this prayer and says, actually, it's not only that we know that we are one with God, who is one, Father, Son, and Spirit, but also that we'd live as one as those centered on our lives with Jesus. Because in how we live, it reveals who he is. Man, what a privilege to know that we're now caught up in an eternal relationship that's always been. That's fully loving, fully serving, fully knowing. We're now in that. And we now get to reveal it to every single person on this earth. By not only revealing what we know of God, but how we act and live towards one another that those of us who've centered our lives in Jesus are not only one with God, we're one with one another. That how we live together is meant to reveal who God is as one. Man, I don't know about you, but that, that kind of unsettles me a little bit. That God who is supremely all-loving, all-serving, all-knowing, calls me to be part of a community, part of a family, part of a church that is to be one, that is to reveal he who is one. Therefore, how we live with one another is meant to be like that. It's meant to be through mutually loving. It's meant to be through mutually knowing. It's meant to be through mutually serving for one another's good. Because in this living that, it demonstrates the God that we know who is one, the relationship we're caught up in with him, but also it reveals it through how we act towards one another. Not as a, a matter of duty, but the fact that, well, this is who I am now. I'm now one with God, and therefore I live one with others who've centered their life around Jesus. And that's not in an inclusive, exclusive way, because Jesus says, in order that other, the rest of the world will be able to look in and say, oh yeah, that's who Jesus is. Hey, I want to be part of that. Isn't some sort of commune thing, hey, we've got this high level of truth, let's hang out and be one. Are you one with me? Let's be one. Can you feel it? No, it's the, the point is that we demonstrate the oneness we know with God, with one another, in, others, in order that others could come around and say, I want that. 
I want to know what's at the center of that. How is that possible? Because you're all different. Oh, that's because we've got this God who is one, who's Father, Son, and Spirit. Not three different beings. Not divided, but one. That's revealed in the Father, is revealed in the Son, is revealed in the Spirit. And that forms us as a community. Made up of this whole host of people who wouldn't otherwise connect. Wouldn't otherwise kind of ever get to rub shoulders with. We don't just exist together. We don't tolerate each other, isn't it? We kind of, rang, kind of hang out and think, well, kind of be there. They look a bit weird, but, you know, they love Jesus, so I'll be friendly. And it's that actually regardless of who anyone is, we say, man, we're one. Because we centered our life on Jesus, and just as we're one with him now, and Father and Spirit, we're now one with one another. If we're going to live revealing this, in order that others would come and step in and say, we want that. So how do we do it? What does it look like? I want us to look again at this passage we looked at last week because it kind of gives us this window in of what a community looks like when they've centered their lives around Jesus and how they're then able to put out and become this community that is one. And it's a window in. It isn't when we look at Acts 2, which is this bunch of believers. Remember, historic ground is that we've got this bunch of believers, 120 of them, followers of Jesus, kind of live with Jesus through his life, hung in there through his death, responded to his resurrection. I said, Jesus, now we're with you forever. And Jesus leaves them, saying, now I've got to go, because it's better for me to go, because I'm going to come and send the Spirit, who is God, to come and dwell within you. God, actually be in you. And that's what happens. We find this 120 in Jerusalem, Jesus having gone to be with the Father, and there, locked away, suddenly the Spirit comes. At that point, they're no longer ever going to be contained by a room. They spill out onto the street. In the street, they suddenly talk about who? Jesus. And we find that within a day, the community's grown from 120 to 3,000 plus. And in that 3,000 plus, there's a look in at this point, a window in, in order that we'd understand what it looked like for them to be one. To be everything that Jesus had prayed that they would be. And that's what we're going to read in a moment. But in it, it's not that this is utopia. It isn't that this is like, this is exactly the blueprint. This is exactly what we need to be going for. It's rather there are elements that are in this that actually reveal, give a window in of what does it look like then to center our lives around Jesus as a community and live as one. And so Luke, who gives this account, historic account of what happened, says this. Acts 2, 42 to 47, they devoted themselves, that's those that have centered their lives around Jesus, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A bunch of believers centered around Jesus, saying, now we know we're one with God. We now live as one with one another. And in them living as one with one another, it wasn't an exclusive thing. And if you see that at the end, it isn't that they were like, right, build the walls up, no one else is coming in, we've got this. And it's that actually they couldn't help but just spill out. As they just lived out who they were, what they were together, it became incredibly attractive to others. They had the favor of everyone around. 
And then it just has this kind of tantalizing taste of what it looked like. It just says that God added to their number daily, daily adding to the number those who were being saved, those who were centering their lives also around Jesus. As I said, I want us to look at the window in there of this community that's showing us what it looks like to live as one. And what we start off with is fellowship. It says this in verse 42, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves, they wholeheartedly gave everything of themselves to what? To fellowship. Fellowship's one of those weird words. It's one of those words that actually if you say, hey, let's gather for fellowship, it kind of feels a little bit like a throwback to the 70s, 80s. A little bit twee, a little bit exclusive, and probably something that you never want to be around. Or maybe we kind of think of the Hollywood blockbusters of recent decade, where we think, oh, it's all about a quest and a ring. And the need to throw it into a volcano <laughs> that I've invested six hours or nine hours of my life in watching a bunch of people take a ring and melt it. <laughs> what a great story. Imagine pitch just from it. Imagine pitching that. I've got this great story. It's going to take quite a long time to tell. It's basically about a ring that shouldn't have ever been created and the need to destroy it. Oh, wow. Epic. Anyway, we can think of a fellowship around a ring, but actually what's meant here in terms of fellowship is something quite incredible. That word fellowship is something we need to claim back, not some twee thing or something to be embarrassed about, but rather is actually a way that was invented. Invented by those who centered their lives around Jesus to express something of what Jesus had prayed that anyone who centered their life around Jesus as a community would be. See, fellowship was the outworking of what Jesus had prayed that we would be one. That's what fellowship was. It wasn't a call to kind of friendship. It was way more than that. It was a call to say, actually, these guys were devoting themselves, they were giving themselves to being one together. To being one in that fullness of sense of where we see God is one. Of being one in how they're mutually loving one another. In being one in how they're mutually knowing one another. In being one in how they're mutually serving one another. They gave themselves to it. They gave themselves to it in respect to how they were treating one another. They gave themselves in how they gathered as a community around this God who was one and they were now part of. And in it, what we discover is as they gave themselves to being one in fellowship, it was both big and small. You see, in the world we live in, there is beauty found in the big and the small. And we need to value the beauty that can be found in the big and the small. But the problem is sometimes we can be biased towards one or the other. And in this, I want us to see that actually there is to be an understanding there is beauty and value in the big and the small. So let's just give a few examples. You see, there's beauty in the Grand Canyon. That's a big scale moment where you can look at it. And this is a, a moment captured, amazing picture of lightning coming down in the Grand Canyon. It just gives this that the scale and majesty and beauty of this big scale event. But as well as the big, you can get it in the small. So then you can find a snowflake under a microscope and you can suddenly see this piece of white fluff falling from the sky. It has such intricate detail and beauty as you value the time to take a look at it. But you can find it in other things. So you can find it in terms of planets. So this is Saturn. So you look and you think, man, that's just out there, way bigger than the Earth. Sinead could at this point step forward and help us understand that, but we haven't got time this morning. But we have these moments of looking up and out at the universe and seeing, this is amazing. It's beautiful, big. 
But then we can take these moments again of the small. I don't know if anyone knows what this is. Hazard a guess? Frog spawn? No. It's silent. Lobster eggs. Lobster eggs. Look at the beauty of them. I don't know if you've ever been down to Cornwall. People are thinking it's not very beautiful. I think it's quite incredible. That something that's kind of quite naff to look at as a grown adult. Shell, kind of little pincers, and it comes from this amazing, they're multicolored. If you go down to um, Padstow, you can go to the... People aren't with me on this one. <laughs> go down to Padstow. Go to the lobster hatchery. And you'll be able to see these little babies being born. <laughs> anyway, the small and big. Here we go, the big. This is our atmosphere. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? That's what keeps us alive. If that wasn't there, we wouldn't be here. And that's amazing. Look how beautiful it is, how coloured it is. Better definition on the smaller monitors than the big ones. If you fit, sit a bit further back, you've got a better picture. Um, but also the small. What's this? It says at the bottom, sand. You can take some sand. You think, well, it's kind of yellowy. Take it under a microscope, and suddenly it's full of this. Just beautiful, that thing, that, moment, that bit of grain of sand at the center just looks like a, a diamond when you look at the definition of a picture, and yet it's there just as this grit. See, there's value and beauty in the big and the small, and some of us may not think some of the small things are as beautiful. Some of us may think the big things aren't as beautiful. But there is a value and beauty in the big and the small, and we need to be careful that we don't get biased over one over the other because actually there's something that we get to understand through the both. And the same is true in terms of fellowship that we need to understand there is a value and a beauty in the big when it comes to fellowship, of the oneness together. It's what we've been looking at over the past few weeks in terms of when we come together to worship, when we come together for communion, which is in the Acts passage, when we come together to pray. It isn't that it's just a moment where it's like the key or a few, but it's rather it's a demonstration of our oneness. It's a demonstration of us showing something of real beauty. A demonstration of something, something of real value. In order that people look in and say, oh, on the big, in, in the whole, we're able to reveal something of God who is one, who is whole. But it isn't just in the big, it's also in the small. And it's this, I want us to zoom in on more detail. It says this in Acts 2, 46 to 47. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, there was a beauty and value in the big, but there was also a beauty and value in the small. That we find in that early communities, they gathered daily in the temple all together. But they had moments where they gathered in a smaller setting. And in that smaller setting, it revealed something also of beauty and value of what it meant to be one. And what we find is they gave themselves to communion, breaking bread. They centered their lives around God. We find that they gave themselves to opening their homes. They didn't just meet anywhere. They opened their homes to others. They said, this is my life. I open it to you. But it's never enough just to open your life. You also have to then share your lives. And so we're told that actually they didn't just open their homes. They didn't just take communion. They also ate together. In this culture, eating together was a way of saying, actually, we share life on life with one another. We don't just want to be known. We want you to stand with us in our life. And in it, we find that they were characterized 
by glad and sincere hearts. That's what happened when they came together in a small scale. They were, they were full of gladness, joy, and sincerity, reality. And as they lived this way, on a small scale, understanding the beauty and the value of revealing oneness on a small scale, it caused others to be drawn in and added in. See, for us at Oasis, we want to know moments of the beauty and value of big, of moments like this coming Wednesday where we gather together, not the keen few, but the whole, saying we're one in prayer. Moments like this morning of saying we're one together in worship, in honoring God, in, in giving ourselves to what God wants to share with us. We're one when we come and gather around the table of communion in the big scale together, but we also want to value the small moments. And what we do is we call those small moments small groups. Small groups that gather week in, week out, at different days of the week, in order that we'd be able to enjoy everything that this Acts community enjoyed. A moment where you can gather with a smaller number of people, somewhere between 8 and 12. And that when you gather, you come and you center yourselves around God, just as they did. That when you center yourselves around God, that you come and you share life with one another through opening your lives to each other, just as they did. Saying, this is who I am. I want to be known and to know others. But that isn't enough just to know and be known. It's also that we come and we do what they did. They ate. We open our lives to others. We don't just open our lives. We share our lives. We say that, actually, I want you to come and stand with me in the good and the bad to pray with me, to encourage me. I know in the small group I'm part of, that this is a key part of what we do whenever we gather. Because we want to live in reality with one another, of both the highs and the lows, and say, actually, you're not alone. There's others with you. And it gives that sense of, I am one. I'm one with God, but one with these guys. And so we give ourselves in small group to centering on God, to being known and knowing others to sharing and standing, our standing with one another in our lives, and also to doing what they did in terms of being characterized by joy and reality. We come gathering saying, actually, we know we've got much to be appreciative of in who God is. And we come and we share of the reality of our lives. We don't ever come with this kind of bronzed version of ourselves, this tarnished version, this kind of fake tanned version. We don't come at small group and say, look how orange I am. We come and say, look at me, I'm pasty white. <laughs> this is the reality of my life. And that's the place that we live from. Understanding that we give ourselves to living this way because there's a beauty and value in the small. And that as others come around us and see the beauty of the small, we then don't close the doors and say, you're not welcome, we're enjoying this. We'd rather open the doors and say, come in. Come on in, because we want to extend this. We want others to be drawn into the beauty of the small as well as the big. And therefore, we make room for it, make room for ensuring that our small groups are always up for multiplying. We don't ever split anything in Oasis. We multiply. Multiply is always a repercussion of fruitfulness. And if we want to say that actually as groups have more people in, we want to keep them small, and therefore we multiply them out. So we want to value and be centered in fellowship. And we center in fellowship, in enjoying being one through the big and the small. And what we've done is just going to ask for a moment for you to hang in there. And I want you to turn the heating off because it's getting quite warm in here. And whilst we turn the heating off, Mike's going to come up with a few friends who are just going to share some of their stories of small groups and the value and beauty of small. Okay. Okay.
I'm going to end it in 60 seconds. What I wanted us to do is to see that we're centered on God. That's who we are. We're centered around this God who is love. And in the centering on this God who is love, we then center together in. We center together in fellowship. And that fellowship is both the valuing of the big. It's the valuing of who we are when we collectively come together as one. Moments like a Sunday. It isn't like a religious moment. It's a moment of us celebrating who we are as one. It's moments like this Wednesday evening, which isn't just for the keen few. It's actually for all of us to say, we're one, we're in this. This is who we are. And so we gather together at 8 o'clock next door to pray. But it's not only the beauty and the value of the big. It's also what I'm hoping we're seeing through those different stories is the beauty and value of the small. Of who we are as a community as individuals. Individuals who are connected, meaningfully connected. And small groups is our way within the culture we're living in, within the fullness of life that it offers, that actually ensuring that we still celebrate and we understand the value and the beauty of the small. And I guess I want us to live with that, that this isn't something just for some, it's something for all of us to enjoy. And therefore, for each of us, there's going to be different ways forward. For some of us and those that are in small groups at this point in time, can I encourage us to just keep enjoying small groups? Let's keep valuing the beauty of what they have, but let's also be those who are in them that are only just enjoying what they are, but also looking to include others in. Always looking to speak to people and say, come and join us, because there will always be room. We can always multiply. We can always make space. The second thing is, if you're not in a small group at the moment, I want to encourage you to join us in a small group. At the end of this morning, over by the PA desk, uh, where there's some chairs, there's going to be some individuals who lead small groups or are part of small groups. Some of them will be in jazzy green t-shirts. Others won't be. They'll just be looking cool in their just normal clothes. And they'd love to talk to you about how you can connect into a small group. We have small groups at different evenings, and we're just looking to always include others in. And so we'd love to help you get part of a small group. Lastly, it could be that some of us are sitting here thinking, man, what I need to do is just open my home. And if you'd like to open your home and say, I want to open my home in order that I could build others into this kind of small group community, I want you to speak to Mike or I at the end, just so we can uh, connect with you and help the next steps of you actually taking responsibility, saying, I'm going to open my home and build a community like this. So I'm hoping there's something for each of us in this. All of us are included. But please can we value the beauty that there is in the big and in the small. Because in both, we get to see the fullness of who we are called to be in fellowship with one another as we get to reveal the God who is one through being one. Can I just pray to finish off with and then we'll kind of do various things I'll explain at that point. God, I thank you for you, your presence here this morning. I thank you, you promised that whenever we gather together, you'll be there tangibly, causing us to understand something more about you, causing us to experience something new of you. And God, I pray that you'd cause each of us to understand that we are now part of you. I thank you for those that are on journeys discovering more of you, Jesus. I pray, would you keep them coming closer, understanding that you always say welcome. I pray for those of us who've centered our lives around you, Jesus. I pray, would we live with the privilege and responsibility of what it means to be one. One with you, God, but one with one another. And I pray, God, we savor the beauty and the value of the big and the small. I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, what we're going to do now is a few things. So kind of hold on to your seat to hear what you're going to do. For some of us, we're going to go back and we're going to grab a tea and coffee. And they'll be at the double doors at the back. And you think, yeah, I'm going to grab a tea and coffee. For many of us, we're going to go over that corner and say, actually, I want to get connected into a small group. And so we're going to go over there and see how we can get connected. For others of us, we've got kids and we're going to think, man, before I can do those two things, I need to go and get my kids. And so we're going to go and get them and bring them with me to be part of the journey. 
For others of us, this is the other group, we're going to come forward because we want to get prayed for. We recognize that through this morning, we just think, man, I just want to be stood with. And so we're going to get prayed for. There's actually one person I really want to pray for, which is Antonia, who's part of us as a community and is going back to the States for a period of time. We're hoping visas allowing that she'll be back as well because she knows that Birmingham is the best city to be in, that the States is good, but not as good as this. And so we want to pray that happens. But for each of us, we're going to be in different camps, some teas and coffees, some small groups, some kids come back and some's getting prayed for. Each of us know what we need to do. We've done now. I'm going to stop speaking. We all take the action we need to and see you next week otherwise. Wednesday night, prayer meeting. <laughs> <laughs>